This is the Pro Wrestling Shoot. This is the Pro Wrestling Shoot. Here we go again. This is the Pro Wrestling Shoot. Hey, what's up? This is your host, Jesse Carter. Pro Wrestling Shoot. It's about to get exciting. Pro Wrestling Shoot. How long is this going to last? Pro What's going on, everybody? This is Jesse Carter, and you're listening to the Pro Wrestling Shoot. Today, I'm with my co-host, James Pinard Jr., and we got a guest today, Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. What's going on, man? What is going on, brother? Long time coming to come onto this podcast. I had to wait in line. I'm in the queue. What's going on? <laughs> Not much, man. It's another day on the job, you know what I'm saying? Nah, yeah, it is a long time coming, dude. I'm so glad you finally made it. Uh been on your show a couple of times, been dying to get you on, man. Time's just fragile, you know? I, I definitely get it, man. So, Conrad, uh, what what got you into podcasting, man? Because you're 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 the independent podcasting god right now. Like, uh, what what started you on that? I wouldn't say that. Um, I've always been a big fan of wrestling podcasts and things like that for years. I Dude, the name Everything Pro Wrestling is just who I am. I will watch anything and everything pro wrestling for the most part. Give it a chance. Check it out. Um, I don't know. I always grew up a WWE fan. Uh, I watched a lot of people. Big fan of like the Sala Monster. And I remember he started. I've been watching him since or listening to him, I should say, since day one, since uh, I think 2007. So he's been doing it a long time. Uh, during that time, though, I was a, a young lad. Uh, I don't even think I was allowed to drink yet. <laughs> and um, it, it was just timing. Like I was in college. I really just didn't have the time to do it. But I saw what he was doing. and I was like, this could be fun. And during that time frame, I played around like on YouTube videos discussing like wrestling video games and things like that. And it kind of just attracted my interest slowly but surely. And once I graduated, um from college in 2014, I ended up uh, started to think about like, how could I do my podcast? Uh, how can I incorporate YouTube and everything else? Um, I have a different channel. Most people probably will never see this, but I actually have like an everything pro wrestling. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Kind of like a teaser, like to see like, okay, w- will this work? What do I want to do with this? How do I want to do it? And uh, my format used to be like Google Hangouts and I would invite two people on like uh, you guys and then just have you come on and we would discuss like everything that was going on in wrestling news, possibly like the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, just different things like that. That's cool, man. Yeah, I remember the first time um, I randomly came across your podcast and I, I read something online that was like, hey. Uh, If you're a new podcast, maybe you should reach out to other podcasts that are in the same genre as you and try to cross promote. So I just randomly threw a message out to you one day, man, um, asking, asking for the cross promotion. You've been nothing but solid for me, man, um, since day one. And then I, I fell in love with your podcast. I've even been on the podcast a couple of times. If you guys haven't seen that, then he, he does reviews every Wednesday night after dynamite, go check them out. They're live on YouTube, video podcasts. They're great, man. Lots of fun. You can interact, um, chime in, say your opinions, whatever happened on the show. It's a lot of fun. 
but yeah, man, you've been nothing but solid for, for us over here at the, at the pro wrestling shoot, dude. And I, I just eternally grateful, man. No, dude, I love your interviews and things like that, too. You guys are really great. I know that we uh, I promote you every week on my podcast. So anybody who's listening to this, I'm sure you've heard my voice on the podcast as well. Um, It's just fun, man. I think as I look at us all as like independent kind of wrestling podcasters, I know a lot of people go with the stigma. Oh, it's another fan wrestling podcast. Yes, but I think our stand out and they're a little bit different. Um, I don't hear us on here saying some like crazy stuff like on some of the other ones where you're just like cringe a little bit. Uh, we're just talking about wrestling, man. Just hanging out. That's what it is. So what's your take on that, man? Uh, like you just said, we're we're a, we're fan podcasts, right? Like there's so many like big, big podcasts out there with wrestling personalities involved in them. But like you said, it's a different perspective from somebody on the inside than as, as compared to fans on the outside looking in. Um, I kind of enjoy that more, man. I like hearing fans perspective because when you listen to the people in the back, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're, they're fans, but they don't, they don't really have our perspective, do they? Right. It's, it's different. It's different. Different strokes for different folks, I would say, because there is an element to getting Bruce Pritchard's opinion on something that you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. He actually worked for the company, and I kind of want to hear this. Same thing with Eric Bischoff and WCW, because I know less about that. So I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. But on the other hand, I agree with you 100% on the fan side of it. When we do podcasts, um, I look for people who are honest, people who are giving their real feelings on something. Uh, I don't like people who are like 100% overly positive about every single thing. That's a problem. But I also don't like the the negative people, too, who is just like, if you hate it that much, dude, turn it off. Like, I don't get it. And they're just like, well, it's my job and blah, 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 blah. I've heard people say that. And I understand that. But it's just like, ah, dude, at some point, you got to cut some of that out. Like, I wouldn't want to be that negative all the time. That's just me personally. But honesty is key, though. Like if something's bad, you have to say it's bad or this didn't work. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, we've we've done shows on here that we've loved. We've done shows that we hated and and we've explained why um, off air. We were just talking about Survivor Series and, you know, I, I was I was looking forward to putting this pay-per-view over because I've said on previous podcasts that WWE has been killing it in pay-per-view. So um, Survivor Series is one of the famous four, obviously the original four. And I was excited to watch this pay-per-view. And like you said, if you hated it that bad, you, you could have just turned it off. Well, that would have been the case for me, but I was waiting to see what they did for The Undertaker. And then by the time The Undertaker came, it was all a bunch of bullshit again. So I uh, <laughs> I ended up having to watch an entire pay-per-view of shit. I mean, it wasn't all shit, but it, it was the worst pay-per-view of the year for me personally watching. So um yeah, um, that was a very negative review. If you guys have heard all the listeners listening right now, like if you've heard the review, you already know. But yeah, I mean, I I, I'm, I feel the same way, man. I can't be positive about everything. I can't be negative about everything. Just like I'm not I'm not positive. Like a lot of people listen and they're like, oh, you know, you, you just love AEW. So you're going to put them over. No, that's not true. Um, there's lots of shit that I hate about AEW. And I've said it most, you know on every podcast like there's lots of stuff that i don't like i've even said it on your show so mm -hmm. yeah i mean it is what it is yeah you just have to keep it a stack about whatever you like and dislike i've come on and i've said things that some people will probably just say like oh you're an AEW fan and i usually say 
yeah, I am. I actually do enjoy AEW more. That's the reason why when there's NXT on an AEW on, I choose to review AEW because I feel so oversaturated in the WWE product that I'm like, it's not worth uh, watching another WWE show. And I think that was the problem with NXT. I loved NXT before with that one hour format. It was beautiful. It was quick. And you just got to the point to what you needed to to get to that takeover show. It's not like that anymore. It's just it's a different beast now. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, War Games coming up is not going to be um, like that. Um, thankfully, it's on a Sunday, so they're they're kind of giving it its its pay per view platform style as compared to what we got for um, Halloween Havoc was just a, a normal dynamite. Yeah, or, I mean, sorry, uh, NXT <laughs> takeovers have still delivered though every single time. Like yeah. I, I still have not. I've yet to. I always tell people I have yet to see a bad takeover. And like on my grading scale that I usually use, I have never given a takeover anything under a, I think a B maybe or a B minus. Yeah, no. And I can only think of one show that I gave it. that to. Yeah, it's, it takeovers kill it, man. I mean, dude. In all honesty, I'm a WWE fan too. I mean, I love AEW. I prefer to watch AEW more on on television. So that does not mean that I'm not tuning into every WWE pay per view that they produce or or staying in, you know, staying in touch with what they're doing on the product. I just can't get over three hours of raw, two hours of SmackDown, um, two hours of NXT. You know what I mean? It's like you said, it's just oversaturated. There's too much. And I hope AEW Bro, that's doesn't a, that's go That's a day on, of work but, watching all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I got shit to do. <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, it gets busy, man. Um, but I'm, I'm a WWE fan since I was a little kid, dude. So th- there's always going to be that WWE fan inside me that, that wants to see WWE succeed and thrive in what they're doing. Same um, bro. Same. Listen, I tell people this too. Crazy story in my uh, kindergarten graduation picture. Definitely took a picture like you could bring your favorite toy. I'm probably one of the few kids who brought a toy in in my kindergarten and it's a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. There you go. And, and yeah, the I had that the same one back then. So that shows you how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> James, you're on the podcast, man. Let's get let's let, let you get a word in. Hey, Conrad. So obviously my first time meeting you on the podcast. Um, you know, Jesse obviously got me into the podcasting world of wrestling that I never thought I was going to get into. And uh, he mentioned your name. So I was like, all right, check it out. Because I've watched other review, like other review shows like Aaron Riff on No DQ. And then Jesse here mentioned Talk is Jericho. So I used to watch that for some time. And then one day out of the ordinary, he threw the idea of, hey, let's try the podcasting. So I'm like, all right. Of course, I dragged my feet to get all my equipment. You know, I listened to his stuff for the time being. And Honestly, it's a big difference. For, you know, obviously, I'm a big wrestling fan. I didn't get into it till later on, like early 2000s. And just the big wrestling community you hear, you know, I like the interaction. Um, of course, with me and Jesse doing podcasts, and we always have to storm ideas, like how we're going to differentiate from different podcasts. Um, I would say, what is your like daily take of like how do you go when you're going to do a podcast? Do you take notes for the show? Do you just go by fans' comments when you do a YouTube live? How do you go on with it? Uh, I do both actually, which is kind of strange. Um, I don't know when you guys take notes, if it's a a tablet that you use, but I'm an old school pen to paper kind of guy. I think it just helps with my writing, everything else too. So, uh, I have notebooks and I think I've went through two or three this year so far of, uh, notes, ideas, different things like that. 
Uh, this notebook is about to, I think I have two pages left in this. No, three. Oh. So that might be enough to cover me for dynamite. And then uh, after that, it's probably time for another notebook. But I've just purchased some downstairs. So um, I use notes. And then during my show, the main thing is the taglines for it's everything pro wrestling by the fans for the fans. And the key element to me is having that fan interaction. And you go and watch a lot of people on YouTube. I'm sure you guys have and your audience has. And you see people who force you to super chat or pay to get their comments read and i'm just like ah that sucks man not everybody's got money who watches like pro wrestling you know pro wrestling used to be one of those cheap tickets that you could always get with your buddies spend 15 20 bucks you may sit up in a section that's a little high 200s 300s but you're at the show you're having fun um and i just see that as some people can't afford to pay money for stuff like that so if you come on to my show and you're putting stuff in the chat uh, am I grateful if I get a super chat? Hell yeah. But at the same time, if you uh, if you don't have any money, your voice will still be heard on my show. Yeah, which I appreciate that. Yeah, because I used to be like that. I used to see the super chats, you know, people with the lengthy questions like, you know, what's going to go on with the future with this superstar or, hey, what's going on with, you know, this news going on. So I do appreciate that. No, nothing but respect for that. It, it's just... I don't know. I just remember being that fan myself sometimes. So I put myself in other people's shoes like that. I'm like, ah, if they can't, if they can't do it. Not a big deal, bro. That's why we're all here. You know, right. I'm, exactly. I'm trying to create like a community of like fans and family. Right. Cause yeah, the more, man. Back, you know, more spread of the wrestling off, fans, um, you know, just all the people, you know, seeing all the interaction in the, in the comments, you know, you can have a hundred viewers and, you know, you try to read every, you know, you try to get every person's comment in, you know, there might be negativity, there, there might be positivity. And of course, I like responding to everyone. I was the same way. Just like you said, you got to put yourself in their shoes. If you were the listener and you're listening to the podcaster. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yo, so back to the note taking, actually, when it comes down to us doing a review, um, yeah, there there are no notes on my end. I don't know what James does, but there actually I, I don't even all the memory and how I felt. But um, if I if I need to like remember what was on the card, I'll just pop it up on Wikipedia real quick and read it off. But other than that, like I don't really take notes on what on my reviews. I just kind of give my opinion of what I saw and how I felt. Um, it's it's a lot different. Like I, I always promote your show um, when I'm doing review shows too. Like I. I I make sure to emphasize the everything pro wrestling show when I'm doing reviews, because I like to let my listeners know, look, you can get my, my take on what I'm about to say, but if you need an in-depth look at what happened tonight, go to everything pro wrestling and they will let you know, because I know you guys, you guys take pride in going in detail in good detail. That's what I've always loved about that show. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just legitimate guesses. Like uh, we got what's the the winter is coming is the dynamite show coming up as if you guys hear this after the fact um, prior to it. And I've been talking about Kenny Omega winning the championship for I, I want to say before all out even like I had mentioned, I'm like, yo, Kenny Omega is going to be the guy to beat him. I don't know when I realized it or what it was. I think it was with the tag scene with hangman and omega and i was like well what happens next i'm like omega has to beat moxley for the belt it's the only thing that makes sense like he terrorized him since day one of AEW starting it's it's so, gonna come full circle in my opinion 
What do you think is going to happen after Omega wins? Do you think this is going to build a, a feud with Hangman Adam Page and, and Kenny Omega? I think I think the end game in the long term will be Hangman Page uh, finally gets that conquering victory over uh, Kenny Omega. But that's as far as I am into the story. I'm like, he's going to get the win, but I think you have him fail a couple times still. Yeah, I think you can yeah. tell a great story with this. Like he could spiral out of control and he doesn't know what to do. And then he he can turn he can be their Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I hate using like the comparison because he needs to be Hangman Page. And I don't mean it that way. I mean, he could be a character who spirals out of control. But then when you need someone to make the save, it's like, yo, the hangman's here. Uh, we're about to see some cowboy ish, if you know what I mean. And he's about to come out here <laughs> and to quote Jr. like he's he's the cowboy. He's going to come in, save the day. He He's a loner. He just comes in and does what he does for AEW. And I think that is what people want out of Hangman Page because he wasn't ready when they first introduced the AEW title. I was like, no way. Jericho's winning this match, bro. He's not ready for it yet. And now his character is being built up. And I feel like he's almost at the point where I'm like, yeah, he's ready. You can do it now. You can pull the trigger if you need to. You can see uh, the similarities between him and Austin. I mean, being the obnoxious drunk and now he's being solo so they're trying to work out like three characters at one time you got moxley then you got kenny omega which they keep teasing the cleaner gimmick and then you got hangman page and everyone was thought was what's gonna happen next for him you know he's not gonna be in the tag team scene what do you have next for him obviously the elite's not with them they dismantled them practically and he's been you know they've been doing that cowboy gimmick drinker and honestly that could be the next thing that might be happening yeah yeah uh, I, I I love the storyline between them. I love them as a tag team too. Like sometimes you argue with people, they're like, "How come Hangman and Kenny are getting the tag title shot?" I'm like, "They've been teaming up since the second episode of Dynamite." I don't know. Sometimes I just I'm like, "Are they, are people not watching or seeing what's happening with some of this stuff?" And um, it, it it's been a great story that they've been telling. And I and that's one of the things I love about AEW is kind of the long term storytelling. Is all of it great? No, some of the low card stuff is like, eh, take it or leave it. But I really enjoy what they do with like their main storylines that they put on the pay-per-view. It, it, I'm sold on it usually where I'm like, okay, this is going to be a really good match. Yeah, I'm guilty to being one of those guys, man. I remember seeing um, uh, Hangman Adam Page lose that first match to Chris Jericho. And I was like, man, drop the ball. Like I, I automatically threw a fit like, oh, well, they dropped the ball with that. Hangman Adam Page was going to be their star and all this. But I just wasn't seeing the bigger picture. Right. Jericho needed to be that champion and he needed to to build prestige to this this brand new company uh, at the time. And I remember when a- Adam Hangman Page and Kenny Omega teamed up and then they eventually got the titles. I threw another fit like, oh, God, I, I can't believe that they did this, man, with all these great tag teams. But then, like you just said. They're building to the bigger picture and they're 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 painting this beautiful portrait to what we're going to see unfold eventually. At least we hope. Um, I hope they don't drop the ball with this. But um, yeah, you just got to look at the bigger picture sometimes. Um, Thankfully, AEW is giving us that as compared to what we were talking about earlier. WWE just has kind of been giving us short term storylines and not really building to anything uh, super epic. Yeah, hopefully the Roman stuff is. Uh, I've got I've got Ron in the background, and I I just see it in the reflection right now. They that they just showed Roman Reigns. I love what they're doing with him, and I think there's a long term plan with him. But I've heard Heyman's been writing it, so I, I have full faith in that. Then, yeah, definitely, man. 
Um, I actually have the Seahawks game on <laughs> in the background. Um, yeah, no, Roman Reigns is killing it, dude. Um, he's he's fantastic on on Raw. One of my favorite things that's going on, or not Raw, he's on SmackDown, but he, he's he's one of my favorite things going on in WWE today. Um, the best thing to me, um, and this you know, this is very opinionated, so it's it's just my opinion. Is is of course Bray Wyatt. And I love the stuff that he's doing with Alexa Bliss. Um, I'm a I'm a huge horror movie fan. So um, when when Bray did this fiend character, it was so much better to me than you know the whole um, Sister Abigail character. And you know um, it, it it it's just it's refreshing to know that we have what could be eventually if they if they continue on this story and and put some love and care into it. It could be bigger than The Undertaker later on. I think it could be. It just depends on how they treat this uh, in the long term. You got to stay committed to the gimmick. And I don't know how wrestling in 2020 would do that. If you know what I mean? It's it's just it's more difficult today. Like Undertaker came in at the perfect time. It was still old school. You could get away with kind of being the Undertaker. And it's like, oh, that dude's supposed to be dead. (laughs) Oh, okay. And now today people are like, oh, that's garbage. Uh, but as far as Bray Wyatt and listen real quick, I have to, I wanted to interject this when you were talking, I am also a big horror movie fan. So when I see the Bray Wyatt character, you don't get any vibe from any movie from it before I say it. Oh, um, no, I will, we'll say it, say it. And then Red maybe I'm, oh yeah. Red yeah State, I guess the you are right from there. Red State is exactly to me who Bray Wyatt's character reminds me of. Just somebody who's kind of hypocritical at the same time, but what he's saying has truth behind it, too. It, yeah. it, it's very weird. It's like, oh, I could see how someone would get sucked into this cult-like atmosphere. So when I saw that, I, I immediately like thought Red State. Uh, this new character, though, The Fiend, is, I don't know, man. I get like Jason vibes or something from this. I don't know. I love yeah, the character though. Like I was there when he debuted. I went to that SummerSlam at in uh, Toronto, the last one with the crowd uh, at this time at least. And when he came out, dude, that was an amazing like entrance. I love that he had the old Bray like head on the the lamp. It, it everything with the character was just so well done. And then when he defeats you, you go back in time kind of like to a different previous version of yourself and i love that like storytelling element that's why you have to use him sparingly and just figure out like okay this is the perfect time to bring out the fiend boom you can't use so, it all the time so when i was watching when i was watching um what was it the the firefly Funhouse match the first thing i thought of was um house of a thousand corpses have you ever seen this movie I don't know if I have refresh my mind okay, so, here. So it's a Rob zombie film. It, it was his first film and they ended up making a trilogy out of it. It was, uh, they have devil's rejects and then three from hell was his recent film that they did off of this. But house of a thousand corpses was such a different film and it was so wacky. And they had this really like, I, I want to say kind of dark comedy in it at, at first. And then it had like these alternate, type worlds that they would always talk. There's this character called Dr. Satan on um, House of Thousand Corpses. And he, the fiend just reminds me of somebody that would be back down in Dr. Satan's world. And if you were, if you were to like go back and watch this film, man, you would know exactly what I was talking about. So the fact that he beat Cena 
and we haven't seen Cena since. Um, I mean, it, it, he, he got trapped in this world, right? And he's also got this schizophrenic type vibe to him where he, where he's, you know, the Firefly Funhouse Bray. And then all of a sudden, you know, like somebody says a, a word and then he, he clicks into the fiend, you know what I mean? His eyes get all dark and, and I just love it, man. It's, it's so, it's so good storytelling that, um, when I'm watching it every time I always have to like pull my wife in because she hates horror movies. So I make her watch this every time. Like, look, you got to see this. And she think, hates it. She can't stand it. I think it's even weirder when, um, my son will watch like, and he's real small, but he like loves the Sesame street type shows, but he always stops when the firefly Funhouse comes on. He's like, entranced by this like it's one of those sh- other shows and i'm like yo bro this is this is wrestling <laughs> like what are you doing don't watch this and then he's like looking at him and then the fiend's just like going crazy but he loves all the stuff popping up he's smiling and clapping i'm like wow this is a really good character if we can get kids into it because sometimes when you've been a fan as long as the three of us you get kind of like jaded as a wrestling fan or you've seen it all and you're just like oh yeah but you forget how it makes people like feel when they first see it Oh yeah, man. That kid feeling when you're watching something that there's nothing better than that. And, um, that's what Bray Wyatt does to me, to be honest. He's, he is the only thing, um, like I love what, what's going on with Roman Reigns, but when I still watch Roman Reigns, I'm like, yo, he was just face, you know, a couple months back. And I, I kind of just take kayfabe completely out of it. But when Bray gets on my TV and he starts doing that fiend shit, like I, I'm popped into kayfabe at this time and I'm watching Bray and I'm just completely sucked into his acting, dude. He, he makes it feel real. And that's what I love about it. I think that's what we're missing in professional wrestling is, is characters like this. Yeah. And his character practically brings all the audience. Like, like you said, Conrad, your son loves, you know, when he brings the puppet characters, he's bringing like all different audience into his character. You got kids watching him. You got adults, you even got people 50 plus watching him. And yeah, like you guys mentioned with the horror movies, yeah, another one that comes to my mind uh, when you see The Fiend, it's like a, like the movie Split, if you guys seen it with like different personalities. One minute he's playing this Mr. Rogers, you know, type of gimmick, Sesame Street, and then here comes the horror side of him with The Fiend, you know, being all mysterious, pretty much, you know. And then, you know, and it must have been a cool feeling just seeing him live in Toronto. I mean, you know, it kind of give you like Undertaker vibes because I've seen Undertaker live and you know what's happening. But when you see The Fiend, you kind of get like a, a different view of it. Like It's just just crazy that, you know, everything's been done in wrestling that you can think of. And then here comes this guy with all the creativity. You're like, hmm, this is different. We've never seen this. And he's keeping WWE going. I mean, besides Roman, he's doing a lot, a lot better than we've seen in the past and what fans wanted. But The Fiend is just a monster that I'm just wondering what he's going to do next. Obviously, with Alexa Bliss and whatnot. Yeah, I think that was a nice element to add to him, just giving him uh, Alexa Bliss to be added in. And I love your take on uh, Split because they did almost have him like dress up as Sister Abigail. If you guys remember like that TLC pay-per-view that got like ruined by whatever happened back then. I think there was like a, a miniature pandemic back then and like a bunch of the top guys got sick. Because uh, we almost saw him as like Patricia at that moment. It was like, what is this? Um, but I love the movie Split. That was a great analogy, James. Yeah, just that different disorders, like, you know, just all the personalities he had. And then just his former gimmicks, he's kind of emphasizing them all in. Like, you know, when he, when the Fireflies, Firefly Funhouse happened with Cena, he kind of 
you know, brought back the element of seeing his career, you know, and then like you guys mentioned, obviously if everyone noticed on his gloves, he has one that says heal and hurt. And every time he fought someone, if they were faced, which majority were, they would straight over, go straight over to a, you know, heel side or go to a face, you know, like Danny Bryan, when he faced him, he was a heel at the time, faced Fiend, went to his face side. So they're pulling the trigger and they're not overdoing it, which is actually a good emphasis compared to like other games they've done in the past. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would agree with what you just said there. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. Like I said, I love the character. I love what they're doing with him. Um, I, I I love Bray Wyatt even when he had that character. So to me, great character. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that he uh, gets the longevity that he deserves. Like you guys brought up the Undertaker before. Um, love Taker and hopefully he gets that longevity. So what about Alexa Bliss, man? Like she's killing it too. This, this is the best side of Bliss that I've seen um, thus far, man, I, I've never really been a huge fan of Alexa bliss. I've always thought she needed a makeover in some way. Um, I was kind of hoping that she would do this crazy gimmick with, uh, Oh, what's that chick's name? The Nikki cross, Nikki, Nikki cross. Yeah. So I was hoping that she was going to get with Nikki cross and that they were going to kind of go crazy together, but it just never happened. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the makeover that I feel like Alexa bliss is needed. And I hope she continues with the Bray Wyatt thing, too, because this shit's great. Yeah, Alexa Bliss fits into this very well. I think it adds another element to the Fiend character. It, it It's kind of like a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing, too, though, to where it's like, oh, he cares about someone. And, and, and it's kind yeah. of weird. And she's like um, hypnotized over him, kind of like a sorry, we're getting into like horror movie stuff, but like Chucky a little bit like, oh, he's like infatuated. Everyone's just like. Why would you go out there and trust her? And she she kind of reels you in to the conversation. All of a sudden, she's like, oh, he's here. And you fell into the trap, basically. And uh, the fiend is yeah, coming to get you. I think this is the best that she's been as well, though. Alexa Bliss, I got to give her props. I don't know if it's luck, uh, talent. I think it's a combination of both. But I think she really has just lucked into some great roles from somebody who started off on NXT as uh, like, I remember she's come out with like the little pixie dust and all that stuff. I was like, what is this to becoming <laughs> like a great manager, then to a wrestler and then someone who I think's won the women's title the most. She's up there with like Charlotte and Asuka and them like as to, to who's been the champion the most the past five years. Um, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, she her. developed. She sorry, no, she developed very fast. I mean, like you said, yeah, the pixie dust thing in NXT. She wasn't that much over, and then you know, obviously, she started, she won her first title on SmackDown, you know. And obviously, I was one of them, I didn't really care for her stuff, but she did a lot of cosplay. And like you mentioned earlier, yeah, she like you know, B's not, uh, she's all nice and whatnot, reels you in, and then she practically chops your head off like a gremlin, you know, all cute and you know, nice and whatnot, and then all of a sudden just takes advantage of you. I mean, I was kind of, I was thinking it was either going to be Alexa or Nikki since Nikki had that, you know, uh, wild side of her to be maybe with the fiend, but maybe the, maybe her language wouldn't work her. Um, I think she's Scottish. I don't know if that would have worked with the fiend, but she was probably the best fit for all of them. I mean, she's been on top since, I mean, yes, you have the four horsewomen, but she's probably the best fit to, to fit with the fiend. Yeah, yeah, she definitely is. Um, yeah, she's just 
she's been right place, right moment a lot of times. So, you know, she's killing the role. Uh, I've been happy with what she's done so far. Yeah, man. Speaking of that, uh, so what what got you started into wrestling, Conrad? Like, when did you, what what made you fall in love with wrestling as a kid? Ah, uh, that's a, I've never been asked that question. Um, what got me to it's fall in one. love with it? I don't know. I feel like since I was a kid, it's kind of always been like one of those comfort things. I've been watching wrestling so long that I cannot tell you when uh, I started watching wrestling, if that makes any type of sense. Um, And if anybody hears like a baby crying in the background, that's the intern. Uh, He is not happy (laughs) right now. But (laughs) you're um, all right, man. You'll hear a train on my end here in a couple of minutes. (laughs) Shout out to Metrolink. Listen, he's he's a, he's as much a part of the show as anybody else. I always tell people that. So if you ever hear me reference the intern, now you guys are in on the joke. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't remember ever like when I started watching wrestling. So it's kind of a weird thing, right? Like I remember bringing like wrestlers to preschool show and tell. And I tell the story all the time. Like, dude, I remember bringing demolition in and, you know, they passed the toy around to the class so everybody could look at it. And you're like, why is this your favorite toy? And I'm like, oh, they have the cool red tongues and the face paint. And now that I look back at it, I'm like, my teachers had to be mortified. Like I brought gimps to class. Like these dudes were in leather. <laughs> like, and I love the face paint of demolition. And so I'm like, what was I thinking as a kid? <laughs> like bringing that in, thinking that was okay. Um, They're probably thinking, what the hell are they letting their kid watch? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just so I would never weird. let my son want that <laughs> here comes the X <laughs> hey dude I love demolition highly underrated tag team back in the day back in the old golden era man oh, there no, has dude. to be the, the like like one guy though that captivated you or maybe it was oh. just demolition was it demolition for you that no. like that's what like no it was actually Shawn Michaels I was a big rockers fan too I think I brought them one time too Wow. Uh, the rockers, Shawn Michaels always had it to me. And I think the key thing that gets people to stay in the wrestling was being a fan of somebody. When he turned on Marty Jannetty, I was kind of happy. I was like with Bobby, the brain Heenan who reminded me of my dad too, a lot. Um, which is kind of the comforting thing, uh, as far as wrestling goes too. like, you know, sometimes back then your parents would work. My dad would work on like Saturdays and he'd be like, hey, do me a favor. Watch the wrestling on Saturday night and tell me what happened. And I'm like, I felt like it was an assignment for my dad. Like, OK, I got to watch wrestling on Saturday and let him know what happened. And he would come in and be like, oh, tell me about it. You know, so I think that kind of created a bond. But Shawn Michaels was always my guy. And I tell people this. So he became the Intercontinental Champion. He defeated the British Bulldog. You're happy. You mark out. And I'm like, yo, one day this dude's going to be the world champion. And people, you know, would be like, nah, that dude's mid card forever. There's no way this is ever going to happen. And eventually you guys know what happened. The boyhood dream came true. WrestleMania 12. And Bret Hart was my favorite, like, uh, wrestler then, too. I loved Bret, but Sean was my guy, like. If anyone could beat Brett, I was like, I'm cool with Sean doing it. And my brother was the biggest Bret Hart fan. He got mad at me that night. I remember getting a Bret Hart action figure thrown at me. And he was just like, oh, my God, why did this happen? And it just goes crazy. And when your guy wins, I think you kind of stick with wrestling. And I didn't know about backstage politics. I didn't know about all this other mess that happens backstage with Sean and what he was doing. All I don't I think that any, guy on my, my hero. 
Like no no wrestling fan knew about that shit back in the day. That's that's what made wrestling great. I mean, now we have the internet. We we know what's going to happen on Sunday before it happens every pay-per-view almost. And it's, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it wasn't like that as a kid. And when you were watching Shawn Michaels win the title, that was a huge moment. Even with Marty Jannetty, man, like when I was watching the Rockers as a kid, I loved them both. But I always and this is this is a this is a weird thing to say, but when I was watching the Rockers, I thought Marty Jannetty was going to be the one going over, man. Like I thought that he was the star until Shawn Michaels put him through that window. And then he started escalating with uh, I think he was with Sherry, right? Like sensational mm-hmm. Queen Sherry was his manager at the time. And then when he won the Intercontinental title, dude, I was I was a, I was sold, man. I was a Sean fan from there on out. I remember watching him. Uh, I think it was a uh, WrestleMania seven. Was it seven where they were in Vegas? Uh, nine, nine. OK, WrestleMania nine when they were in Vegas and uh, it was just a different type of thing. Right. He came out and um, sensational Queen Sherry was such a good valet for him at the time. I think that she put him over, dude. I was just explaining this to my wife the other day, how underrated she was, dude. I was just watching some old shit too. And I watched that chick jump off of steel cages, barefooted. And like that chick was crazy, dude. She was just totally ahead of her time. Yeah. She was great with anybody. She touched for a certain period of time, like Shawn Michaels, uh, macho King, Harlem Heat even like she yeah. Sherry fit with Harlem Heat. It was a perfect matchup, in my opinion, to have uh, all of them together. Sherry was absolutely great. But I think that's what really keeps people into pro wrestling. Like I mentioned my brother before, and I think he kind of fell off with it because Bret Hart was his guy. And then Bret Hart got screwed and he went to WCW. My brother didn't understand, like, why aren't they using him? Why isn't Bret the Hitman Hart in a better position than this? And it was kind of, you know what I mean? And by the time they started doing stuff with him, it was kind of sad and it was over. Like you missed the opportunity to really like capitalize on the momentum he had. And I think that's what kind of like, then he steered away a little bit. Like, ah, you didn't do the right thing here. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it it was unfortunate. I remember thinking the same thing. Uh, My brother was also a huge Bret Hart fan. Um, that was that was his guy, man. He would always be running around the house saying, "The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be." It's just his catchphrase around the house. I got fucking sick of it. Growing up, man, Shawn Michaels um, was my favorite wrestler. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this on the podcast before, but Hulk Hogan was it for me, man. Like there was just something about there was just something about his aura, man. Like it, it was just captivating as a kid. And, um, eventually I grew out of that, you know, like I, I, so my heel moment was when watching Hulk Hogan turn, turn heel, um, in the NWO, I, I had never been so pissed. I was crying. I was so fucking sucked into this man. Like I, it, it was just, it, it was everything. It just made me sick to my stomach to watch man and watch him cut that promo about, you know, like oh, all that stuff about saying your prayers and eating your vitamin. That's all crap, brother. And these fans can stick it, dude. It was, you might as well have just like shoved the dagger into my heart, man. And like thinking back now, it's like, man, I would, I would kill for that feeling again in pro wrestling to feel that way, that hatred, you know what I mean? And then MJF comes along and we hate this prick. <laughs> I mean, could yeah, you imagine yeah. like all the dirt sheets? I mean, if you had dirt sheets back in the 90s and WCW time and all the spoilers, you know how bad that would have ruined probably wrestling, you know, all the emphasis of like you said. Imagine if we knew way before if Hogan was going to, you know, 
start the NWO, you know how much problems there would be. I mean, you know, Twitter would be on fire back in the day. It would just be a disaster. I mean, I kind of, I wish Twitter and social media kind of didn't even exist in nowadays because it kind of kills, it kills the wrestling vibe in so many anticipations. I mean, you know, like the Royal Rumble, you always hear like, oh, hey, such and such is backstage. It just kills all the emphasis. So, James, I, I know that you didn't watch this live because you got into wrestling a lot later. But, Conrad, did you watch the NWO um, form uh, at the Bash of the Beast? Did you happen to watch that on pay-per-view? I didn't. So this goes back to me okay. being poor. So back then, uh, uh, you, I don't know if pay-per-views used to come out like Channel 99 for you guys. And you would get like the lines and you could sometimes yeah. see it, though. Dude, I did that all the time. You're bringing, you're bringing some, you're hitting some feelers right now. Oh, I know somebody's out there calling me old. Some of your young listeners, but I don't give a care. So, hey, hey, I'm right there with you, dude. I, I've watched pay per views like that. Yeah. So back then, you were just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna just put this on, and hopefully, I can catch an image of something while watching this." Because <laughs> we didn't have any of those uh, black boxes back then that used to get you the pay per views for free. Those were so. so have you ever went? Have you? Have you ever went back and watched the NWO heel turn? Oh yeah, hundred times. <laughs> okay, times. so so watching it now, you can totally tell that Hulk Hogan was coming out to turn heel, right? Like when you watch it now, you're like, oh yeah, he's. You know what? I right think now. so. The moment I've heard that Eric Bischoff or whoever produced this got mad at was Bobby Heenan saying, "Whose side is he on?" I thought that added to the element because Heenan was always a jerk to Hulk Hogan, so I was just like, oh, that's Heenan being Heenan. Uh, you know Hogan's coming that's, out here. Yeah, that's what I yeah. Some people said that they felt like he gave it away. I definitely disagree. So Hogan comes out there and he's doing his thing. It looks like he chases him off. He rips the shirt. Ah, and then when he goes and leans into the corner, I think now we can see it a mile away, probably because anybody who's done a heel turn after that's like, oh, I'm gonna copy that. That's what works. Um, yeah, man. Hogan just did it, and it was it was a shocker. Like I said, that's the investment in having people stay babyface for so long. You get that kind of investment. But I also think there's two different kinds of fans. Like Hogan was, uh, he felt weird in WCW. I don't know if you guys felt the same way from 94 to 96. It just didn't feel right with him being there. Right, right. He's, he's not, when I look at certain people, I'm like, you're a WWE guy. Okay, you're a WCW guy. There's very few who I could like say straddle the line, like maybe Pillman would be one I'd say straddles the line, but even then I consider him more WCW. Even though I saw Vinny Vegas first in in WCW, to me, Kevin Nash is Diesel. He is always like a WWE guy. They gave him his first shot. Same with Razor. I didn't see Razor as the diamond stud anymore. Like I saw him as Razor Ramon. He's the bad guy. Like, I, I don't know, man. But watching that, was it, it was a great moment, dude. Like, I loved the fact that they threw the garbage. I always did not like Hogan as much as other people. Even though I had the wrestling buddy and all that stuff, I just thought it was cool he had the belt on. I was never the biggest Hogan guy. Um, I actually was a warrior and savage guy. <laughs> I know a lot of people guy. like that, man. Like uh, I, I grew up with people that were that were. I was a I was a savage guy too, man. So here's the thing: like uh, Hulk Hogan was the one that started it for me. But man, I I mean, how could you not like the Warrior as a kid? I mean, watching back now, I can never rewatch one of his matches. I think we did that on the watch along, and I was like, "Well, this is gonna go like fucking two minutes." <laughs> but I mean, it—you I, I, cannot just not like him as a kid, right? Like as a kid, he's so captivating. Uh, Macho Man was uh, all around the best performer at that time. Him and Ricky Steamboat were 
like killers in the ring, dude. Like Hulk Hogan didn't compare to Randy Savage when it came to in-ring work, in my opinion. But Hulk Hogan just had that aura, like I said. And when this happened, um, I didn't get that feel at all because I grew up watching Hulk Hogan and I grew up watching Bobby Heenan bury Hulk Hogan every t- every chance he got, calling him a scumbag and all this shit. So I just figured it was just Heenan being Heenan. And, uh, you know, I I remember watching Hulk Hogan come out and I'm like, it's on now. Hogan's going to whoop that ass. And came out and... You know, as soon as he hit the ropes, I, I I think I was right there with you, man, and and seen it coming a mile away. But um, it was a shocker to me, man. And and you're right, he he was he was weird in WCW when it came to '94, '95. Um, he was always that WWE guy, and it was really he had like kind of like a different look too in WCW. I felt like he slimmed down a little bit. I feel like his mustache got thinner, his hair grew longer. Like he just he looked different, and I didn't like it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, at this, at this point in time, I was into Shawn Michaels. So I was already tuned into WWF and I was watching Shawn Michaels do his thing. And, and it, it was amazing, man. And then as soon as I found out about, you know, like the whole, uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash thing coming over and, and doing the whole takeover angle that they were doing, um, that's when I started tuning into WCW a little more. But when it came to 94 and 95, I didn't really watch much of Hulk Hogan when it came to WCW because I wasn't a WCW guy until Scott Hall and Kevin Nash arrived. Mm. Yeah, I, I would always watch WCW, but there, there were just certain matches that I remember like growing up as a kid and loving. Like there's certain things. So you, I back before, you know, I was into like going to school dances and girls and all that stuff. You would watch Saturday night wrestling because you're a little kid and you don't have anything else to do on a Saturday. So I remember watching like the Hollywood blondes uh, on TBS and I would love those guys. Uh, Ricky steamboat versus Ric Flair. Uh, We were talking about how you guys do your watch alongs. Uh, That was one that I did one for from like Saturday night. Um, I think they had like a draw on one of the shows and then they were trying to determine who was like the undisputed champion. And I, I always love when Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat locked up, even in the later years. Like some people were like, oh, it wasn't as good as uh, back in the day in 89. I get that. But to me, still gold in 1994. Like you can do stuff like that. Steiner Brothers, great tag team. The NWO, you could just go through. There's certain, there were good things about WCW as much as people like to give it grief. Um, there were some fun things in there that you could do. And they had some interesting match concepts and ideas. Some were bad, but some were good. What do you think about any of this, James? Have you came? Have you went back and watched any of this old stuff? He must be paused or doing something. Are you muted? <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just chime in anyway. So <laughs> he must have left the left the podcast for a second. Yeah, dude. Um, Sting was it for me, man. So when I did tune in to WCW, it was about Sting. Um, I liked him a lot better than the Ultimate Warrior. So Sting Sting had that that in-ring presence. Same with Ric Flair. Um, I watched, I remember my brother had on tape those matches, and I think it was 86 with Ric Flair and Sting. And this was a year before I was born. So um, I would watch these matches, and, I was, you know, and that's, that's what grew my love for Sting and Flair. And then I got to watch them a little bit more on WCW. Um, so it, it, it was fun watching them. The Steiner brothers, of course, they were they were phenomenal. And then I loved watching um, old tapes of Ron Simmons. Yeah, Ron Simmons was dope. 
I don't think people realize like how important it was to uh like I'm I'm biracial, so I don't think people realize how important it was to like African American wrestling fans when Ron Simmons won the world title. Like when you go back and watch the reaction of all those kids who ran like up front and then they're jumping up and down when he hit that power slam and then he gets the three count on Vader, bro. That was me at home, like just going crazy, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they let Ron Simmons win. This is so cool. Uh, it was a yeah. great moment. Like when Kofi Kingston won the WWE title, like, bro, I, I felt like in my heart, like, you know, you get in the feels. I'm not like Mr. Feels either. I'm the last dude. If you can get me in wrestling to get goosebumps or the feels, I usually say it on the show. I'm like, goosebumps, that that you did the right thing right there. Um, it, it gets you. It's like watching that uh, episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Will talks about his dad. Anytime I watch that, bro, you can get a tear in my eye. Like, yeah, yeah. Instantly, I'm like, break it down real quick. Yeah, I'm like, dang, dude, how do they do this on this episode? And like uh, James Avery said to Will Smith, who was Uncle Phil, that's acting. Like, and if they can get you to do that, if they can get you to feel that, uh, they did their job, man. Sting was dope. No, definitely. Whether it was Surfer Sting or Crow Sting, uh, Crow Sting beating up the NWO is one of my favorite pastimes. Just, yes, there we go. And he would just come in and just put a whooping on everybody, even though it was so sometimes like the runners were so terrible, like Buff Bagwell was just sitting there waiting for his beat down. It, it was just so much fun, though, to watch that stuff back then. Well, let's let's tune in a little bit on that whole Kofi Kingston moment, man. It, it's ridiculous, but I, I grew up I grew up not knowing about like like racial anything like I didn't I you know, I, I grew up. In, in a world with, with black friends, brown friends, it, it didn't matter to me. Like I, I never, I, I guess I was one that was raised right, but, but racist wasn't like a thing for me. So I, when I, when I heard that Kofi Kingston was the first ever African-American to win the WWE title, I, I kind of gasped like, cause I, I think back to like WCW, like you said, um, Ron Simmons held their, held their title, um, Booker T. So it's like, these these big athletes have won. I cannot believe that it took this long for them to pull tr- the trigger out of all the great African American wrestlers that we've had in WWE. This was the first one to win the WWE title. That's crazy to me. It, it just depends. I get into it with some other people too about it because to me, The Rock is still. You know what I mean? He's biracial too. It's, it's yeah. the exact same thing. Like to me, The Rock is just as black as anybody else. Cause I yeah, always no, ask yeah, him, I like you can't you can't have it both ways when it comes to that type of stuff. And to me, it doesn't matter if you've got it, you've got it. And The Rock had it, and I I always believe Kofi Kingston had it too. Uh, I thought that dude was a great talent, and I just got so happy that WWE didn't get like the cold feet that they get sometimes when someone they're like, ah, oh, this is just kind of a hot shot reaction from the crowd, so we're not going with that guy. I'm glad they gave it to Kofi and I'm glad that people like Daniel Bryan stuck up for Kofi Kingston and let him get the run that he deserved there. Um, I hated how it ended. I think they could have did something much better with it, but the fact that Kofi got to have a run with the title and they let new day kind of succeed was, it, it just put a smile on my face and I hope we get to see more of it in the future for them. I'm hoping big E's I the one the same man. Way uh-huh. with. Go ahead. Yeah, I felt the same way with uh, Rey Mysterio. You know, I remember, I think it was, uh, I don't recall what Royal Rumble was, and I was watching my friend who was a big Rey Mysterio fan, and uh, just seeing Rey Mysterio win in the Rumble, you know, that was, you know, because I didn't watch wrestling back in the day. I got into wrestling, like I said, like early 2000s, you know, 
And, uh, you know, for me, for wrestling, I kind of treat it like football in a way. Like, you kind of get hooked into one superstar. You know, for me, it was Cena at the time when he was doing his uh, thugonomics. And then Mysterio caught my eye. And like you guys are saying with the, you know, all the racism that's going on nowadays, you know, like Kofi, you know, it was shocking that he was the first ever black WWE champion. Like that was, you know, surprising to me when Mysterio won it being Hispanic, you know, it was just life changing, you know, too many. Um, him winning the Rumble was, you know, just a crazy out of nowhere thing. And then him winning the title against Angle and uh, Orton, that was just phenomenal. And, you know, obviously he had a short reign. He, he won the, I think it was the World world Heavyweight title, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, Rey Mysterio is definitely one of the biggest overachievers of all time. Rey Mysterio is my favorite cruiserweight, even going back to the WCW days. Like, Rey Mysterio Jr. was the shit. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm cute cursed or say that type of stuff, but Rey Mysterio was the shit. Nah, and, you're good, man. You're on my show today, brother. Hey, Amen. <laughs> dope, dope. So then I'm letting them fly then. Um, and as far as uh, what we were just talking about with uh, Kofi, like one of my like good friends from elementary school was from Ghana. So I understood like we used to love we would talk soccer, football, hockey, whatever. We were just sports kids growing up. And I watch every sport, too. I know some people think wrestling fans don't watch sports. That's a lie. Um, I love all sports. Uh, we were just talking football before both of us. And, uh, it's just amazing that it, 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 some people feel like it took a long time for this, but I think they just have to realize if somebody's got the hot hand, WWE gets cold feet on a lot of things or they wait too long to do it. Cause they're like, let's see if this, let's see how long this momentum rides for, because WWE tries to maximize, um a person's I, I don't know what's the word i'm looking for here they're like reaction they want to maximize it and sometimes they beat it into the ground to the point to where you don't want to see it anymore uh best example would be like oscar right now like you loved oscar during the summer when she was facing sasha and bailey and she was on tv featured well and now look at her what do they have for her to do because she blew through everybody nothing so now she's cooled off it, it, it just depends, man. But the reactions for those uh, wrestlers really matter. Like MVP and Shad Gaspar come to mind. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like the Instagram video of them watching Kofi get the three count. But uh, I think, I think they cried when they saw it happen. They were like, he yeah, did it. It, yeah, it was monumental. Them. It was monumental. Yeah, it, it, it was a tearjerker for sure, man. I remember watching that and I just I felt this this whole different because like I said before, I didn't know that this was the first time because I think back to like, like when I think of like the big gold, when they had the big gold, which was my favorite title, by the way, like that's my absolute all time favorite championship. I don't know what it is about that title that just it it breaks me down, man, in every way. I'm probably going to own like six or seven big gold replicas by the by the end of my belt collecting years. <laughs> but um yeah, like you know, like when I think about the big gold and I think about um fuck, what other titles did they have, dude, that wasn't the W like the universal title and all this other shit. Like there there were other African Americans that held that title. To me, that's the fucking title, man. Like it doesn't matter like if it's the WWE title. You were world champion, man. Like Mark Henry held that title. Uh, Mark Henry was also the ECW world champion. You know what I mean? On WWE program. I love Mark Henry, man. I used to give my buddy Chris Williams a whole bunch of shit because he was such a big Mark Henry fan. And I used to always just rib him 
every chance that I got. And I was like, man, Mark Henry's garbage. Like he's the worst wrestler in the world. I do the same thing now with Bobby Lashley. Like I, I, I only put him down just to get a rise out of my buddy. <laughs> but Bobby Lashley is actually a really good talent. And um, I'm going to edit that out of here because I don't want Chris to hear this. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's a good talent, man. And uh, I loved MVP too. Like MVP when he was in his prime. I mean, I still, I still love MVP. When MVP came back, dude, I popped. Like I love MVP. There was something about him that, that just uh, – I, I don't know, man. He has it. I loved the old theme music. Uh, that he used to have, so I was really bummed when they got rid of it. <laughs> like, I know it was corny, but I love that. The, I love the chakra theme. Yeah, yeah, I I loved it. Like, I'm coming. Like I I remember making calls on uh the SmackDown versus Raw video games, and I would always have my call come out to that shit <laughs> every time. Like even the pyro I, I he know. came out with. God, I mean, he same was a pyro yeah. character. I mean, dude, I remember the skits he had when he had, I believe you guys recall, you might remember when he had those skits with Matt Hardy and he used to have like competitions. I think they had a basketball competition and they were feuding for the U.S. title. That guy was such a character. Dude, it gets it gets wild, though, with those guys. Like, I love the fact when he went to uh, Japan, I loved his rap music, too. Like, Holla to the World, definitely my favorite MVP song. Uh, we Ballin' was a great theme, too, when they had that for a little bit for him. Uh, yeah, yeah MVP's that. great. And on Mark Henry, bro, I was there when Mark Henry won the world title for the first time. That was in Buffalo. Oh, wow. And wow. Uh, I remember Mark yeah. Henry's like, don't y'all cheer for me. And my whole section was like, we're going to cheer for you, Mark. And I don't know if they show people dancing, but that was the section I was sitting in. And there were a bunch <laughs> of kids dancing like the primetime players. Like we were like, oh, Mark. We were, and we were just singing like, somebody's going to get their ass kicked. Somebody's going to get their split. And we were just going nuts for him. I've been there for a lot of like really cool title changes. Like even Jeff Hardy winning it was like a crazy one I was just talking about. Uh, to my wife, I was like, remember when we were there when Jeff Hardy won? She was like, yeah, you lost your voice on the train. Like when we were coming back home, I couldn't speak. <laughs> like her cousin showed up. She was like, why can't he talk? And then he, she was like, oh, someone just won the world title. And he went crazy. Like it's up there, man. Uh, and I don't know. The Mark Henry pay-per-view wasn't it. It was one two years later that had like my favorite match that I've ever seen live even. Uh, Cody Rhodes and Goldust versus The Shield is up there for one of my favorite matches I ever saw live. Oh, wow. the emotion behind it. Yeah, dude, it was really great to see like Dusty come out there with his kids. And then you see like the hug, the embrace after like if you guys ever do a watch along, I would love to hear you guys react to that one. I believe it was Battlegrounds 2013. Yeah, that's the sound. Yeah, we'll right, have right. to watch that, dude. Yeah, yeah put that in the that, notes. That, yeah, that <laughs> was a monumental train. <laughs> Metrolink shout out. <laughs> <laughs> that train coming right by, man. I'm telling you, dude, he, like you hear it. Or a train. Yeah, you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, dude, I, I would love to react to that video, man. I, I, I like that shit. Like my, one of my favorite matches that I've ever seen live is actually one of my favorite um, singles ladder matches ever. And it was with Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels at No Mercy 2009. Beast. And um, I, was, I was sitting on the floor for that one. And dude, so, so good. I remember Chris Jericho like broke his tooth in this match. And this fool tried not to sell it the entire match because you could tell he was in pain. But like, man, they killed it. I thought I thought the ending could like I think they fucked up the ending a little bit. But other than that, um, it was it was so good to watch. Dude. It was it was my one of my favorite singles ladder matches. Dude, of was all that time. the match where Shawn Michaels like beat Jericho with the belt buckle? 
I believe that is. Yeah. I think so. Yes. Dude, yes. I was in pain watching that. I was like, dude, how are you going to whip somebody with the wrong end of the belt buckle? Like, ah, oh, geez, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one that Sean actually kicked that ladder into Jericho's tooth, too. And it, and it broke his entire tooth off. Front great tooth. feud. Yeah. It was. Oh, that storyline. Yeah, awesome, that man. was a great build. So I actually got to see both um, Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels matches, both times that they had them. Um, WrestleMania 19, I was there. And, um, so, and then a few years later, I got to see that ladder match. So it was a good buildup, man. It was, a, I got to see the beginning and then the end. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It was, it was one of my favorite matches to watch live. I got to see a couple chamber matches too. Um, a few months later, same year, 2009. I think it was, uh, I think the pay-per-view was called no way out at the time. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, I've seen some good shit, um, WrestleMania 19 was the best thing that I've ever seen, obviously, but uh, WrestleMania 24 was a close second. Yeah, I love WrestleMania 24. Very underrated. WrestleMania 19, probably the second best WrestleMania of all time. Ouch. I, listen, I, I heard your argument <laughs> for it. I got to be on for WrestleMania 17. <laughs> so, okay, well, well, since we got you on, what what about WrestleMania 17 brings brings it out for you, man? Like, what, what about that pay-per-view um, stole stole the highlights for you bro the card from top to bottom encapsulates like what the attitude era is it brings everything into full circle um what was the intercontinental title match was the opening match i believe chris jericho william regal just a classic mid-card bout and i thought that was a good match and it was the opening match for that show and i think it only had like eight minutes ten minutes they did their job um RTC versus uh, APA, and I can't remember who their partner was uh, for Taz. that one. Was it Taz? Yeah, it like was Taz. dude, second second match, probably the weakest match on the card, and they still went in and crushed it and delivered. Uh, and then you could just run through all of the matches. You have Austin versus Rock in the main event. It that is the Attitude Era. It was he, like heel me, Austin, right? That was heel Austin. Well, he turned heel at the end of it, but going into That's it, you right. didn't know what was going to happen because you're like, oh, The Rock's kind of the man now since Stone Cold got hurt. Do they go with Austin now? And it, it just felt like something big was going to happen. And the whole promos leading up to it, like the My Way, I was a big Limp Biscuit fan at the time. Um, and they used My Way for the theme song. And the song went with like them cheersing the beers. And then when they started punching each other, it was just a great story, how it was told, how it was laid out for everything. And I love the sit down interview with Jr. And then like, you didn't realize it back then, but Stone Cold was like, rock, I have to beat you more than anything in this world. I, I will become the WWF champion with all due respect. And it was like, that promo package was, was top notch. I'll give you that, that, that promo package was, it's top five for me. That was, it was gold. Um, so I love it, man, that like they had their first match and then we came back and we seen this second match right here at WrestleMania 17. Um, but the best thing about it for me is that I got to see the ending once again at WrestleMania 19, man. And this was finally The Rock's time to go over. And um, I don't. So I, I know you heard the the WrestleMania podcast that I did for 19. Um, so I said this and I'm pretty sure that it wasn't scheduled that way. I don't think that, um, the rock was originally supposed to go over in this match. Um, Austin had some complications the night before and he was rushed to the hospital. 
and he was just not in good shape, um, not good physical condition or anything like that. So the rock went over, but the dude, you couldn't tell in this match, dude, you could not tell that Austin was not in good shape in this match. These two killed it. And then the rock went over and what pissed me off the most about this, about him going over is he went over and I thought right on, dude, this is the passing of the torch. Austin's going to say his goodbyes. This is it. The rocks even carry on. And then this motherfucker went to Hollywood. I, I think it was just a bet. I think they never went with the rock enough for him to commit more. You think you so? I think every time he had the chance, they pulled the rug from under him a little bit. And it was like, and I get it. I get why you went with Stone Cold. But at the same time, to me, they were neck and neck for who could be the top guy. I feel like Vince wanted the rock to be the top guy because he had the look. Uh, he could get into movies, all that stuff that you wanted. But the people loved Austin, too. Like they felt like they made him uh, back at WrestleMania 14. Like that was the moment, even 13, if you want to argue that. Um, I just think it was two guys just competing for the top spot. And that was like some of the best competition that we had back then. Triple H wanted to be the top heel. These two wanted to be the top of the company. It, it was just a great time to be a wrestling fan. And that's what I'm talking about. Even with WrestleMania 17, it's all there. I even love the gimmick Battle Royal. Just bringing back old memories of like guys that you're like, oh, my God, I remember this dude. And it, to I don't know. It's fun. Those are the two best WrestleManias, in my opinion. It, it, it is fun. And I agree. They are the two best WrestleManias. I'm going to stick with my pick, WrestleMania 19. But, dude, it's I mean, you're not alone in thinking that 17 is the best. Um, I like to create controversy, so I'm going to mix that shit up a little bit. 19, 19 was my shit. I was there live. I'm biased. I get it. Um, but 17, dude, I mean, it's always, it's all time talked about. I mean, when, when you, you think of the best WrestleManias of all time, WrestleMania 19 and 17 come up and 17 always wins, but there was just so many elements in the, in the 19 that brought out for me that. I, I just absolutely loved it, dude. Um, and thinking back on it right now, dude, as much of a Stone Cold fan as I was, it's kind of hard to choose between who was better between the two, between Stone Cold and The Rock, because, dude, those were two mega superstars. And, and I don't think that we're ever going to get that in wrestling again to where we have just two guys that can just steal the show no matter what you put them on in the card. They're going to steal the show on the mic, in the ring. And they didn't even do shit, really, in the ring. I mean, now we're so spoiled with all this acrobatic shit that we got going on in AEW and all this, like, very talented wrestling <laughs> that we don't realize that what we used to love was just a bunch of punch fests. I, I think it's more than that, though. I think there's a story to it when you do it right. To me, I tell people, yeah, yeah. I could I could write out an Attitude Era match for you right now. Give me the two guys. It'll be punch, kick, punch, kick. Go into the crowd. Referee follows because he's not counting them out for some reason. They get back into the ring. You wait for the ref bump. Here comes the interference. Here comes the false finish. More interference. Oh, screw job. We'll see what happens next week. Boom. That's every like attitude era <laughs> match in a nutshell. Versus today, yes, we have the acrobatics and stuff. But to me, one of the greatest matches of recent times is Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. There's no crazy flips in that one. Well, there's no, some crazy no. things that happen, like crazy dives. But there's maybe like the one. Part, there's nothing like super crazy that is happening in that match. It's a great story being told in the ring. Yeah, no, that's that's got to be one of my all-time favorite WrestleMania matches, too. It's up there um, for me. 
And it's not because of the match itself, but for me, one of the greatest matches of all time was that Hulk Hogan versus The Rock in WrestleMania 18. And that's just because of, like, dude, if you go back and watch that, dude, that crowd, like, the crowd alone gets you into this match. I mean, that match was great. They they killed it in the ring together, but it's pro- quite possibly Hulk Hogan's last good match, like, in the ring, like, physically good mm-hmm. match that he put on. Um, that Those two killed it, dude. Like, that crowd was just insane. But when it comes to, like, skillful match that just had you up and down and what's going to happen, and it's definitely got to be Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker in WrestleMania 25. Yeah, man, I'm, I would challenge you even on that. I think Hogan's last, like, great, great match to me is with Vince. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I, I said that on the pay-per-view, t- or I mean on the on the WrestleMania podcast as well. So they did follow that up. Um, with Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan the following year, and that match was fucking awesome, dude. It was a bl- it was a blood fest. The you had your interference from Roddy Piper. It, it was just good shit, man, all around. But I, I yeah, I, I guess you, I stand corrected. That was his last good match. But you know why I remember come- that? I remember you talking about the spot where Vince's eyes peer over the apron, and I love that spot too. So when you were reviewing oh, it and God. you brought that up, I was like, yo, hundred percent agree with that. When he looks over the apron, that's a great spot. Whoever did that, I don't know if it was on purpose or if the cameraman was just in the right place. We were like, yo, we got to catch this. It was beautifully done. Dude, I wouldn't be surprised if Vince had a fucking headset under that ring and was like, you better fucking zoom in on me right here, right now, <laughs> goddammit. And just yeah, fucking trying, popped his head up. evil SOB back then. Yeah, it was the yeah, perfect dude. time to do it. And it's funny you guys brought that up, like I said to Jesse. Uh, before that was the first ever match I even ever watched for wrestling because I didn't know crap about wrestling and uh, like you said Conrad yeah my grandfather had the black box to get all the free pay-per-views and whatnot and then I seen Hogan and McMahon and I'm like who the hell are these two guys I didn't know shit about wrestling that was my introduction and then ever since then I just fell in love with wrestling when I seen the pop for Rock and Austin the following match holy crap that just got me hooked. But yeah, that Hogan and McMahon, that was probably his greatest match, even though that was probably the first one I ever watched of Hogan's. Yeah, dude, you got to be ready to fire up. Here comes the pain now. Like, man. <laughs> oh, trust me. I have. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, man. Speaking of video games, dude, we got some good shit coming, on, coming up, right? Like another 2K game. Hopefully uh, that's all fixed. I'm sure it'll be fixed, but... Um, Got a new 2K game. We got a, what is it? Live by the code or is that what it's called? Uh, The wrestling code. Dude, they just, I think they just teased DDP a little bit before I got on the podcast. Wow. I was like, DDP signed. I'm like, yo, this game might be the shit. (laughs) It might be the shit. That's what's up, man. So when did you, uh, when did you meet Brian Williams? When, what was your background with him? How did you run into him? Brian Williams and myself, um, I actually just happened to ask him to do a podcast. And with a lot of those guys, I have to explain who I am. And then they kind of remember me later on because I'm like, you guys have interacted with me before. Like uh, Brian knew me, I believe. Uh, Marcus Stevenson was another one who I've spoken to and like reached out to about like ideas for the video games back then because I used to have a million of them and I wanted to be like the community manager. Little did I know how things work. You know what I mean? Like, you got to kind of know someone to get into this, dude. Um, It it was just something very different. So I would, like, give them my ideas for things. I'm like, oh, Brian, you're the moves guy. What about doing these types of moves? Or I would ask the questions, like, how come we can't have this in the game? 
And it would be like, well, dude, that would that would cost a lot of money and it would sacrifice this versus this. And I'd be like, cool. And that's how I learned a little bit about like making video games. So sometimes when fans talk, I'm like, let me put you in your place real quick. Not trying to be disrespectful, but right. they, they can't do that because of X, Y and Z. I, I always have people ask about why can't they do a Here Comes the Pain remaster? And I tell them it would be a nightmare for like royalties for everything involved in it you just can't have it happen and brian said it even when we did a a show together about his times working on the wrestling video games it just doesn't you can't you can't do it it's impossible basically it it would be such a headache because there's wrestlers who have passed away that are in those games does it go to their families who gets the money do they have to get paid on the old system do you put new guys in how do you get the engine back? How do you update the graphics? It, there's too much with it. And Ukes doesn't work with WWE anymore. It becomes quite the headache. But uh, I eventually reached out to Brian because I just remember him being a huge wrestling fan. So I wanted to get Brian on to talk New Japan Pro Wrestling with me. Um, I'm surprised we didn't even get into any of that either. Uh, I love New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I usually do a Wrestle Kingdom review and one year I reached out to him and he was, I was like, what day can you record? And he was like, Christmas. And I'm like, Christmas, bro. I'm like, you know, you're not going to be with your family or whatever. And he was like, no, that's cool. At that time. He's like, we can hang and do it. And um, <laughs> Brian was more than gracious to do that. And it was kind of weird though. You know what I mean? Like we're recording on Christmas and I'm like, and I'm talking to a dude that I used to like talk to as a kid, like wanting to play the wrestling video games. So we we just got to talking and then eventually I think we just formed a like relationship. Like he was like, oh, this dude's a cool dude. Besides just talking wrestling and stuff, he was like, blah, blah, blah. We would just get into other things. And I'm a huge wrestling video game nerd. So we would talk about that. And I think he was surprised that I didn't really bring it up too much on the first podcast. Like I just wanted to talk wrestling with the dude. So right. it was probably a sigh of relief for him and everything else. And uh, Brian Williams to me is one of the easily easily like the godfathers of wrestling video game making so if people don't know it if you're a wrestling video game fan give brian williams his props dude and the dude did a moonsault one time so respect to him <laughs> no nah, dude eh, that's that's 100 facts um dude is is just amazing i remember when i first met him it was in orlando florida because i won that trip to to wrestlemania 24 and um, I was in the tournament for SmackDown versus Raw 2008 and uh, went up there. And I remember seeing Corey Ledesma all the time on on all the videos, you know, promoting the games and shit like that. And I'd see Brian every now and then, but he didn't really pop up too much. And then but dude, when I first got there, um, a, a, a man by the name of John Rowe was the one that greeted us. He's from Australia, greeted us at the hotel huge fucking hotel too, man. It was uh, the Swan Dolphin Resort in Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Huge. I thought we were going to be staying at like a Motel 6 or some shit, but <laughs> no. Um, booked us top flight. We were in a presidential suite for the entire week. And um, dude, it was just phenomenal. Um, John Rowe meets us and says, hey, as soon as you get in your room, put your bags up and then and go next door to the Dolphin. Um, we're buying you drinks all night. So I said, fuck. All right. And when I get there, um, Brian Williams is there. Um, Dan, I can't remember Dan's last name. I feel Dan Ryan, Dan Ryan. So Dan Ryan um, was there. Corey Ledesma was there. John Rowe was there. And dude, I just started chopping it up with Brian. And I remember trying to 
going by my drinks and Brian like fucking put his arm out and he was like, no way, brother, you're on vacation. We're buying your drinks all night, dude. Fucking awesome. I was like, all right, let's do it. And so we were drinking all night and my first night in Orlando, I was uh, head down in a toilet for the rest of the night. <laughs> it was it, dude. But the next morning he was super cool. Went and met up, had breakfast, um, all that shit, dude. This was the last time that I had spoken with him um, for shit. How many years is that? About 12 years. Eight, no, it's about 10 oh, years. Yeah. 10 years. And then I ran into him at a bar in California in 2018 because me and James uh, were over there for Survivor Series, uh, War Games, all that shit. And this was the last night. Um, this was SmackDown night. So we'd already went to War Games, uh, Survivor Series, and Monday Night Raw. And this was SmackDown night. And I hear I hear this distinct voice, dude, that I remember. And it's fucking Brian, dude. <laughs> and like I freak out because I look way different, dude. This is this is 10 years. I mean, I was like, I think I was 21. I think I was 21 or 22. Something like that. I was pretty fucking young when I when I met him the first time. And I was really skinny, dude. I'm going to have to text you a picture after this to just show you what I looked like. Because I have pictures from Orlando, uh, what I looked like, and then what I look like now. <laughs> like, so he sees me, and he does not recognize me whatsoever. And I had to show him pictures of our trip in Orlando, Florida. And this dude freaks out and just doesn't stop like hugging me the entire time we're at the bar. <laughs> and we've stayed in contact ever since, dude. Like, it, it, it's it's crazy how small the world is sometimes. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Brian's definitely someone I would consider a friend now, man. Like he's definitely cool. I love the fact that they're going to be making the, uh, AEW video game. No, oh, yeah, like, he's be definitely awesome. the right person to have on it. Yeah, dude. Um, just super nice guy, man. I'm going to be going to Vegas soon. I hope, um, he can, I hope he can make some time to maybe break away and make a little road trip. I'm, I'm hoping that this COVID stuff kind of dies down a little bit when I do go to Vegas, but um, the way it's looking now is not very good, unfortunately, but um, we're going to try in the middle of January to go down there and we'll see uh, if everything's open, if he can drive down. Um, yeah, dude, we're going to party for sure. Love it. Love it. Get him a drink for me. <laughs> Oh, I will, man. I will. I'm trying to get James's bitch ass to come over too. <laughs> We're in it's your talks, girl's brother. birthday, right? Yeah, it's like around January, but yeah, we're kind of on the ifs, depending on what happens with this whole pandemic. Dude, I will get you a free hotel room. Just come on down. I've heard it. I've heard it multiple times. So we're gonna see. Um, We'll see what happens. I didn't let you. I didn't let you down in California. I won't let you down in Vegas. Oh, I believe you, brother. <laughs> I believe you, brother. All right, guys. We have to actually cut this short. So next week, we are going to provide you with part two of this interview. Um, you guys can follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Pro Wrestling Shoot. You can follow James at TPWS underscore Renegade on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Carter Inc. That's C-A-R-D-E-R-I-N-C. You can follow the podcast page on Twitter at TPWS Podcast. On Conrad's side, you can follow him at Everything Pro Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram and on YouTube. 
Um, they do live shows every Wednesday, so go and uh, check them out right after Dynamite. And then you can follow them on Twitter at EPW Show. Uh, we appreciate you guys coming in and listening to us, man. Uh, this was kind of a long podcast, so we wanted to cut it into two weeks. I know uh, some of our podcasts can be over couple hours and it just gets a little tired listening to it so um yeah we want to keep it short and sweet for you guys this one uh we wanted to keep it at about an hour and a half looks like we went to an hour and 17 minutes so follow us next week um i hope you guys have a very merry christmas because this will be releasing near christmas eve so i hope you guys have a safe holiday um enjoy family enjoy friends and if you guys are social distancing and not doing the whole family thing man um i just hope you guys have a great holiday and thank you so much for your support and all the listens and love and everything that you guys show us over at the pro wrestling shoot thank you guys so much have a great week